those of you who are tuning in that way. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and the church today celebrates Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. If you were here for the uh, little trivia thing we did, then you would have learned that already. But Advent means to anticipate, to look forward to the coming of someone important. Now, it's a season of expectation, of waiting, and hope. And for us, Advent means, uh, Advent comes at the darkest and coldest time of the year. And it reminds us that God has entered into our wintry darkness of sin and brokenness to bring us light, love, and hope. Jesus has come so that we might be with God both now and into eternity. And this morning as we, uh, we're going to look at the Isaiah chapter 7 verses 1 to 14. And in this passage we find one of the most beautiful prophecies of hope. The birth of a child, a son, but not just any child, a child who will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 14. But before I read it, I just want to set some of the context, the scene, because the prophecy of hope that we're going to read about comes at a very dark and bleak time. At this time in history, Israel and Judah have long split, and they are two distinct nations. And they have been this way for the past 200 years. They each have their own king, and they have not gotten, away, they have not gotten along that well over the years. And so the year is approximately 735 B.C., and there is a lot of unrest among the nations. These are some desperate times. Now the nation of Assyria was growing more and more powerful en route to becoming the next world power. And they had a reputation of being very ruthless. Now Israel and Aram, they, uh, they know that they're not strong enough to withstand the attack of the Assyrians on their own. And so against the counsel of God's prophets, the king of Israel decides he was going to ally himself with the king of Aram as they anticipate this Assyrian threat. So I have a map up there. I don't know if you can see it all, but uh, I'm my laser pointer. So up there you see the kingdom of Aram, and there we have the kingdom of Israel, and they are going to do their best to find Jerusalem right there and lay a siege against that. That's kind of their plan. But they know still, so the, the alliance between Aram and Israel, they know that they're still not strong enough, so their plan is to attack Judah at Jerusalem and put their own king on the throne, one that would join them in their alliance, thinking that they would make, that would make them strong enough to withstand uh, the Assyrian threat. So we're going to read Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. I'll be reading from the NIV. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David, this is another word for Judah, was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. It's another name for Israel. And so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So it doesn't take long for bad news to spread. Not today, not even in the ancient world. Ahaz and the people, 
they are terrified of this looming threat of war. Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Now, King Ahaz, he's up at the aqueduct inspecting the water supply. There's no other reason he'd be there with this threat looming. And you know what he's thinking? He's thinking, do we have enough water and resources to survive a siege? How long can we last? And so God tells Isaiah to take his son and meet him there. Now, have you ever noticed that God often uses unsuspecting or subtle things to kind of get our attention? That was the case for Ahaz. You see, names were very important in the Old Testament. They're very significant, uh, especially in this passage. So Isaiah means the Lord saves, and Isaiah's son's name, Shear Jashub, means a remnant will return. And so, standing before Ahaz, this father and son was a living reminder of God's ability to save and preserve his people. Check that out, eh? And so here is what God tells Isaiah. This is what he instructs Isaiah to tell Ahaz. This is verses 4 to 9. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria ah, is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And so Isaiah says it every way he can. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Right? Don't lose heart. In other words, you don't need to panic. You don't need to stress about all of your defenses or make any foolish alliances. And don't fear the king of Aram or the king of Israel those guys are just a bunch of two smoldering stubs of firewood. All smoke, no fire. They are weak and they have no power to consume you. Rezin, uh, he may have jurisdiction over Aram and Pekah over Israel, but God, he is the ruler of the world. Remember that. Hold on to that. And God is inviting Ahaz to trust him, to be a man of faith rather than sight to believe in God rather than trusting in the flesh, to look to the one who is our hope rather than give in to despair and give in to any foolish alliances. Verses 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. And God is, at, God is inviting Ahaz. He's calling him, trust me. Ask me for a sign, any sign to show that I am with you and that I can handle what it is that you are going through and make it a good one. 
You name it, and I will show you what I am capable of. And so this is God's invitation to Ahaz. And by offering this, God is also testing Ahaz. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign. Now, why would he pass up an invitation like that? At first glance, it seems rather pious and perhaps like very noble. You know, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. But this is just really an excuse to hide the fact that Ahaz had already made up his mind what he was going to do. You know, it takes great faith to wait on the Lord and to trust that he will come through because it means letting go of your plans and trusting God. Now, we are a people that like to do. We like to make plans. We like to run ahead. And waiting takes faith. Patience takes faith. But rather than put his hope with God, rather than putting his hope in God and faith in him, rather than allying himself with God, rather than falling on his knees before God and his mercy, Ahaz decides to trust in his own plans and he would choose to beg for mercy from someone else. Someone that does not have Judah's best interest in mind. The Assyrians. Now it's at that moment, after Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign, that Isaiah can contain it no longer. Ahaz was not only testing Isaiah's patience, but he was also testing the patience of the Lord. And so Isaiah turns his attention from the king to all those who would have been within earshot, and he gives them a sign anyways. And Isaiah speaks a prophecy of hope that not only got the attention of the people that day, but would ring loudly for generations to come. Verses 13 and 14. And Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, it is, is, it, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. This is the message of hope that Isaiah delivers to Ahaz and the people. And this sign and message was significant, and it was, a special, it was especially significant in the time that it was given, and it is especially significant 700 years later when an angel would come to a young woman named Mary and announce that she was with child. But hope and rescue and salvation will come through, will not come through earthly alliances. Not for Aram and Israel, not for the Assyrians. Hope comes from God. And here in this passage, Isaiah is pointing to a hope that will go far beyond saving the people from a temporary and earthly problem. Hope will, that will surpass any expectation they could have possibly had will come through a child born of miraculous circumstances, a child who will be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is the promised Messiah. And he will come and bring hope and salvation that will last, not just for a generation, but for all of eternity. And you know, we may look at Ahaz and think, you know, hope was staring him right in the face. Why would he give in to fear and despair and ally himself with Assyria of all people? rather than God. And the truth is, when 
when issues and difficulties arise, a temptation to focus on despair rather than hope can be very real. It can be very easy to talk about and focus on all our problems rather than set your mind and hope on the one who is Lord over those problems. Now, we may, not, we may not have an army threatening to invade us, but we have been going through a difficult couple of years. And I'm sure many of us have spent far more time complaining and stressing about issues over these past couple of years than we would like to admit. And like Ahaz, we are tempted to give in to that despair and focus on the problems and let that drive our thoughts and decisions. And it can be depressing and can suck the life right out of us. And sometimes we are tempted to build up these problems in our minds and make them much bigger than they are. And it's like that old saying, if two dogs are fighting, do you know which one will win? The one you feed the most. i got to thank John for that when he came in this week and, and shared that wisdom with me. But fear or faith, despair or hope, the problems of this present world or our God who is Lord over those problems. You know, when people give way to fear and speculation, we can come up with all kinds of grand scenarios and possibilities that lead to paranoia. And given the choice that King Ahaz made, I assume that he had gone pretty far down that road of, what if? What if we get invaded? Oh man, I'll be humiliated. We'll be, I'll be mistreated. I'll be killed perhaps. Who knows what will happen? And we are just as prone to that line of thinking. For example, we can take something even as small as a strange look from someone and we can assume that people are gossiping or conspiring against us. And I think most of us probably know that isn't the case, but that's what fear will do to us. It causes us to turn a problem into a much bigger problem. And it can make us make foolish decisions. I still remember December 1999. I was in grade 12. And I, like countless others, was waiting to see what would happen. Y2K. And there were, were the computers going to shut down and bring the whole world into chaos and anarchy. Huh. That's what happens when our conversations are dominated by fear. We blow them up and the problem grows. And that is how conspiracy theories are born. They come from entertaining fear and despair. Now some people may want to call this being pragmatic or realistic or a potential warning of what may possibly come. But generally speaking, I would say it's rooted in fear-mongering and leads you and those you share it with into despair rather than hope. And I've heard people say things like, you know, how could anyone bring a child into this world with all the problems that we have? You know, with all the abuse stories, with all like, the human trafficking and, and climate change and natural disasters and overpopulation and war and addictions and, and the list goes on. And we, we, we do have problems. There are problems as we journey through this broken world that is longing to be redeemed. There were problems in Isaiah's day. There were problems as far back as Genesis 3, right to today. There will be problems tomorrow as well. But when the problems become what we focus on, it can become paralyzing and overwhelming. It can become hopeless. But if I'm not going to worry about it, then who is? Let God. 
This is God's world. He is Lord, and He is bigger than the problems. And none of this, like none of what is going on, has caught Him by surprise. And God has not left us without hope or without help. And instead of worrying about it, God invites us to pray and to partner with Him in His kingdom work. He is God. And He has given us His Spirit. And He has given us one another, the church. And Jesus has promised that he will return and make all things right. Therefore, repent of despair and look for hope. Look for Jesus because through the power of the Spirit, he is present with you. He is Lord of your circumstances and he is Lord in your circumstances. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And you know, every time that God's people faced a, a conflict or heard about an enemy alliance or any kind of crisis, God's message to his people every time was, I am with you. That is the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And God's invitation to his people time and time again is to turn to him, to trust him, to wait on him, to walk by faith that God will do what God does, redeem Save, to thwart the plans of the enemy and work good out of bad. The hope that Isaiah prophesied was a living hope. Literally. Hope came in the form of a life, a child, Emmanuel, God with us, literally, in the person of Jesus Christ. And the entire Old Testament points to the coming of our Lord and Savior. And unfortunately, Ahaz chose to put his hope in the wrong place, in the wrong person. And rather than ask for a sign from God that God was inviting him to ask for, Ahaz chose, he chose to, you know, a path that he thought that he could control. He chose to put his trust in his own plans, and he chose to put his trust in the, in the king of Assyria. And he would bend the knee to Assyria, and when, we hope, when our hope is misplaced, it doesn't take long for, it, for all of it to come crashing down. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for a Hope, he tells a story of some soldiers in a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam. Major Harold Kushner was a prisoner of the Viet Cong for more than five years. And Kushner describes one of his fellow American prisoners, a tough 24-year-old Marine who had made a deal with their captors. The Marine agreed to cooperate with the enemy, and in return, the commander of the prison camp pr promised that he would let him go. And the young, the young Marine, he did whatever was asked of him. He became a model prisoner. He became the leader of the camp's uh, thought reform group. But before long, it became clear to him that the camp commander had no intention of actually releasing him. And this is how Major Kushner described what happened next to the Marine. When the full realization of this took hold, he became a zombie. He refused to do all the work, and he rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb. And in a matter of weeks, he was dead. And the cause of the prisoner's death might be summarized in one word, hopelessness. 
There's little doubt that hopelessness can kill. The human spirit needs hope to survive and thrive. And taking away hope is like pronouncing a death sentence. And the world offers us no shortage of options to place our hope in. And so people put their hope in all kinds. In money and possessions, their jobs, their relationships, in their health. People put their hope in their abilities and their talents, even in their citizenship. But the novelty wears off. And people age. They retire. They get injured. They get sick. They lose loved ones through death or through conflict. These are temporary. They will not last. And if that is where your hope is found, you will end up disappointed and left searching. And like Isaiah proclaimed to Ahaz, Scripture is inviting us to place our hope in the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, unchanging, and loving God, in Emmanuel, God with us, a God who is rich in mercy, a God who invites us to become a people of faith and promises an eternal hope, an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. Isaiah 7, verse 14, this, this prophecy of a child, Emmanuel, points to Jesus. The name Emmanuel describes who Jesus is. He is God with us. Gregory Boyd said, Jesus is God with us. He is with us in our humanity. He is with us in our fallenness. He is with us in our sin, with us in our condemnation, with us in our shame, with us in the horror that sin brings about, and he bears it all upon himself as he gave his life for us on the cross to give us hope and salvation. You see, the miracle and the meaning of Christmas cannot be seen apart from Good Friday and the resurrection. The one completes the other. And this is who our God is. This is who Isaiah is inviting us to put our hope in. And there is a significant contrast between who our God is and who Ahaz chose to put his hope in. Right? Ahaz, he chose to put his hope in Assyria, and they did come to help. Assyria did end up squashing Aram and Israel, leading Israel into exile. However, it wouldn't be long before Assyria would attack and lay siege against Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, during the reign of Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. But that's a story and a message for another day. Needless to say, any hope in any earthly alliance will not last. It has been a challenging season of life these past couple years. And loneliness and conflict and worry, frustration, anger in our homes, in our workplaces, in our families, even in our minds. And these are some of the common challenges that we are battling in these times. And are you, are you struggling to see hope in the struggles that you are going through? Are the problems and the issues of today waging war on your mind? Are you struggling to see the lordship of Jesus in your life and in the world? And if so, to any of those, I, I want you to know that, number one, that you're not alone. 
God is inviting you to look for the sign that was prophesied to Isaiah, to look to Emmanuel, to Jesus, our hope. And I'd like to offer two simple ways that we can begin putting our hope in Jesus, to remind ourselves of the hope in Christ. And the first one is to pray. It is in prayer that we proclaim that Jesus is our hope. It is in prayer that we appeal to the God of hope with our worries and our fears. It is in prayer that we turn to the one who is trustworthy and faithful, to the God who demonstrated his love for you so profoundly that he laid down his life for his friends, for you and for me. Since Sunday school has been put on hold, I have I've been hosting a prayer time in the chapel on Sunday mornings at 9.30. And I started it because, well, I know I needed it. There have been days and there have been weeks where I have struggled to see past the problems that we are facing. But when we pray, something special happens. God gives us eyes to see his perspective. And he aligns our hearts with his. And God gives us peace through the struggles and hope in the journey. And we also have prayer times that meet in the church every Thursday morning at 9.30. You are invited to join. You don't even have to come pray out loud. You can just simply come, be present, to listen, pray silently, to pray aloud, whatever it will be, and appeal to our gracious and merciful God. And the second practice I'd like to offer is to invite you, in order to invite hope, is to spend time in, in what we have called holy noticing. God is at work all around us. We just need to take notice. And sometimes we're just, we're just simply too busy or too consumed with our own plans and distractions in order to notice. And therefore, take the space to carve that into your life, to reflect and notice what God is doing and how he is at work. And I think back to the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 to 50. This was a young man with a bright future until everything went bad. His jealous brothers sold him into slavery. His master's wife falsely accused him and had him thrown into prison. His fellow prisoner that he helped forgot about him there. But God was at work through it all, shaping and preparing Joseph for a task that would not only save his family, but would save the whole known world. And it's pretty clear that Joseph had spent time reflecting on his circumstances, and he had noticed God's hand through all these circumstances. Because this is what Joseph says in Genesis 45, verse 5, after he reveals himself to his brothers who had sold him as a slave. He said, But don't be upset, and don't be angry, with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God is at work. He is Lord. Repent of despair and look for hope. We worship the one in whom we hope. And Advent reminds us of the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is light in the darkness. He is our hope in times of trouble and distress. And sure, there are, there are problems in this world, but the world belongs to our God, and he is coming again to make all things right. 
He is the creator, the author of life. Jesus has conquered the grave, and he sits as Lord over all creation. And there is no earthly alliance, no evil plot or threat that will prevail against our God. Therefore, repent of despair that you have given yourselves to and look for hope. Look for Jesus and his work in the world around you. This is what Advent invites us to do. Anticipate Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The hope of the world has come, and he is coming again. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you are God, that you are a God who loves us, who came to us in our brokenness, in our sin, to save us and to redeem us and to rescue us. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, to faith to see beyond the problems of this world and to see you in our lives, Lord. We give you thanks. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.